0: Our reason for being was to be a voice at the various provincial and federal capitals to say, hey, there's an industry that's created to meet your needs. There is no need to continually rely on imported goods that may or may not get to you when you want them to or when you need them, and we can be competitive in price. But more importantly, we have been creative and innovative in how we've adapted new ideas and technologies into PPE, And so that was the genesis of CAP. Now, specifically to answer your question, the next part of that, well, is...
1: Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Making It in Ontario, the official podcast of the Trillium Network for Advanced Manufacturing. I'm your host, Nick Persichilli, and in this episode... I speak with George Irwin and Danielle Kane from the Canadian Association of Personal Protective Equipment Manufacturers, or CAPM. George is the CEO of Trabor RX Corp and a founding member and vice president of CAPM. Danielle is CAPM's clinical specialist, and she's also wrapping up her Master's of Science in Infectious Diseases through the London School of Hygiene and Tropical Medicine. In my conversation with them, we discussed how important local PPE manufacturing is to public health. We discussed how Ontario-made PPE can stimulate the local economy. We chatted about how locally made often means improved tracking of materials used. And we even discussed how, yes, Ontario-made PPE can compete with foreign imports from a cost perspective. Before I go any further, I would like to remind everyone that this podcast is a manufacturing podcast. We talk about manufacturing. That's it. We are not a source of medical information with regards to COVID-19. For that information, check the Government of Canada's and the Government of Ontario's websites on the subject, which we've linked to in our blog post. And if you still have questions, ask your doctor or visit your local health unit. Do not take my word for it just because I have a podcast. There are actual sources of medical information about this. Please, please consult them. Now, having said that, something you can take my word on are the numerous advantages of making PPE in Ontario. Before recording this, my assumption was that if we wanted to make it here, the final product would be too expensive to sell. Turns out this is not the case. As George explained, through advanced technology and the latest automation tools, it is possible for Ontario-made PPE to be very competitive in terms of quality and price. And it's this consistent quality of locally-made PPE that George and Danielle believe is critical to helping stop this spread. There is a lot of actual science that goes into PPE design. Having locally made PPE using locally sourced materials made by local companies operating under Canadian and Ontario laws and regulations, serving Canada's and Ontario's needs is what CAPM is fighting for. Having a stable and ready supply of high quality PPE is critical to us making it through this pandemic. So with that, here's Danielle Kane and George Irwin discussing PPE and how we can and should keep making it in Ontario. And with that, we're live again. And I am being joined by two very new friends, Danielle and George. I'm going to let them introduce themselves. Um, why don't we start with you, George?
0: So I'm George Irwin. Uh, Irwin Toy uh, is our uh, company uh, history, a 94-year-old company from uh, in the toy industry. But I'm here today as CEO of Trebor RX Corp, which is in the PPE space, and as a founding member and vice president. Of CAPM, which is uh, stands for uh, Canadian Association of PPE Manufacturers, which represents Canadian industry companies in the PPE space, uh, covering masks, respirators, swabs, shields, sanitizers, gowns, and a whole plethora of other PPE products.
1: George, nice to meet you. Thank you for joining us. And I'm also being joined by Danielle. Hello, Danielle.
2: Hi there. So my name is Danielle Kane. I have a background in infection prevention and control um, in a hospital, um, as well as I'm wrapping up my master's of science in infectious diseases through the London School of Hygiene and Tropical Medicine. And I developed uh, a really deep interest in PPE, especially respiratory PPE throughout this pandemic. And I joined CAPM in November of 2021 as a clinical specialist. And I'm excited to join today.
1: Thank you so much to both of you for joining me today. So before we start our discussion proper on personal protective equipment manufacturing in Ontario, uh, George, there's a little bit of history with uh, with you and your company in Canada and in manufacturing that I think a lot of people will appreciate, isn't there?
0: Well, there is. Uh, you know, Irwin Toy, being a, a 90-some odd year old company, started manufacturing in Ontario in Toronto. A very long time ago uh, we we made product uh, in the factories in Toronto I think what's interesting uh, in today's discussion is our company Trebor uh, is bringing back manufacturing to Canada and in particular Ontario and we as a company uh, have looked at very hard and fast at why we brought manufacturing back here and frankly, We felt that we can be as competitive, if not more competitive. Uh, We can be closer to the marketplace and there react a lot better. And we can develop and and manufacture very competitive, innovative product in Canada without ever having to source product outside.
1: So let's talk about what's happened in the past couple of years, uh, because I think that... um... With the pandemic, it's put it's put a lot of things into perspective, and I think it's given a lot of people a different appreciation for things like supply chains, about products and things like that. So, from your from your CapM perspective, can you tell us a little bit about what happened at the beginning? Uh, tell us a little bit about the scramble for to, you know to find products and what lessons we learned in the immediate fallout.
0: I think the f- the first thing we got to do is step back and recognize that when the pandemic started in March of 2020. There was really no domestic manufacturing of PPE to speak of. And most, most if not all, PPE uh, used in this country was imported from uh, Asia, the bulk of it being China. And what happened was, all of a sudden, the demand skyrocketed worldwide. The Chinese started to Put more restrictive measures on product being exported from uh, China. They implemented export customs, which is unheard of, uh, but was implemented in the in the in the early day, stages of the pandemic. And so, a number of manufa- a number of companies transitioned their businesses to help with the shortages created in North America by the lack of goods. You had GM and Ford making respirators. you had a bunch of other uh, you had liquor companies making hand sanitizer. Uh, you had all kinds of examples of of people transitioning into PPE to help out. And you had a, a host of companies and, and individuals like ourselves who actually transitioned from one thing to another. In our particular case, we put our toy business on hold, and we started now to. Uh, find a way to start fulfilling gaps in the PPE mask space. There were a number of other companies who did the same thing, investing their own money, investing their own money in grants from various provincial governments, including Ontario. The OTF fund was a was a lifesaver for many companies and, and really was one of the key factors in creating what is now the PPE industry in Canada. But CAPAM grew out of a... A, a frustration that there was no spokesperson for the industry as a whole. You had a m- bunch of, n- a number of companies, including Trebor who would speak on their own behalf, but there was no coalition of a voice in government uh, speaking on behalf of a newly created industry. And that really is the genesis of CAPM. And so Barry Hunt and myself uh, were really two of the early, um, I guess, uh, people who pushed the idea of CAPM and setting up an industry association. And, and he ended up uh, being the president, which is great. And he asked me to be a vice president, which I accepted. And we have a five member board, all of whom are uh, Canadians uh, with Canadian PPE companies manufacturing in Canada. And that was the beginning of CAPM. And now there are, I think, probably over 30 members uh, covering various different categories like sanitizers and and shields and and masks and respirators and swabs and and, um, sanitizers, etc. And our reason for being was to uh, be a voice at the various provincial and federal capitals to say, hey, there's an industry that's created to meet your needs. There is no need to continually rely on uh, imported goods that may or may not get to you when you want them to or when you need them Uh, and uh, we can be competitive in price but more importantly we have been creative and innovative in how we've um, um, adapted uh, new ideas and technologies into ppe and so that was the genesis of cap now specifically to answer your question the next part of that well is okay now you've, you're making product in Canada, but all your raw material is sourced outside of Canada. What do you do? And that uh, was something that that we as a, an industry association started to look at how we could conv- convince other companies to transition into making melt blown, which is one of the components of mass, making spun bond, which is one of the components. Do we have any nose wire being manufactured in Canada for the nose bridge? Yes, we do. And so that was a an incredibly aggressive set of circumstances that we we went after and you know to the credit of the people in this country a lot of people transitioned into becoming domestic suppliers of what was previously foreign imported sourcing and and uh, and of course the benefits to that is you know you're closer to market you can get your product sooner you can Uh, trade in Canadian dollars as opposed to foreign currencies. Everything you buy in Canada from a Canadian company is a multiplier effect for the economy. It's not money going out of the country, but staying in the country. So there's enormous benefits. And and that's the value that CAPM brings to the Canadian public. We recognized a void and we decided to fill it. And I think we went at it in a very thoughtful and... um, Um, smart approach because we like in my particular case I've been a member of different toy associations around the world so I know some of the pitfalls and some of the other people in in the uh, board and and on the um, membership committees of CAPM have been associated with other associations through the years and so they knew what the pitfalls were of an association and we avoided a lot of those. That was very
1: informative so George, let me ask you a quick question here, because you touched on a couple of ideas that I'd kind of like to clarify a bit. How do you compete with a Canadian-made product against low-cost regions? How do you do that? Because I think a lot of people are still kind of struggling with that. They think that if you build it here, it's going to be too expensive, you're going to price yourself. How do you do that?
0: Uh, there's a number of things that work in our advantage. And, and one of them is that the labor component in a in a mask or respirator is a very minor part of the cost you know i mean give you an an example of what i mean by that to run a machine that makes uh 100 and some odd thousand masks a day uh is maybe two and a half three people max and if they you know if they're making 15 or 18 or 20 dollars an hour and you're you you divide their labor costs over a hundred and some odd thousand masks that the cost per mask of labor is infinitesimal. I mean, it really is a very minor amount. The, the cost of the raw materials are a little more expensive in Canada. I mean, we, we buy 80% of our raw materials in, in Canada or in North America. The only thing we have sourced outside of Canada right now is the nose bridge and the ear loop. In the case of our, uh, of our uh, surgical mask and in the case of our respirator, 100% of it is sourced in Canada you know the 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 commodity pricing for plastic is pretty s- stable around the world and if i showed you uh, a surgical mask which is whether it's 3 or 4 ply other than the nose piece everything and, and the ear loops everything in it is plastic i mean it, it's it's in its raw form it's plastic pellets and it's processed into a material which we now then use to Make the mask. Well, that plastic, whether you buy it in China, or you buy it in Sarnia, or you know, Texas, is is more or less the uh, the same price. I mean, it's a commodity price, and it's priced on a global basis, and so it it varies very little. So that's one of the reasons why, in this particular case, the labor component is is less than it would be in a toy, for instance. If we were making toys in Canada, it would be a different. Story because the labor component would be significantly higher. In this particular case, it isn't, and therefore that allows us to be competitive. It's a very, you know, it's a compelling argument as to why we should be buying and rethinking manufacturing in uh, in Canada and North America. The other thing that that we and other companies are doing is we're spending an enormous amount of time and effort. Uh, on robotics and automation and so this particular mask right here the plastic component it's tpe and I'm, i'm just talking about the facial part our molder runs that mold 24 hours a day and there's no people it's all automated it's lights out and the last reason is you know every time you you um put it into a container and put it on a ship you're paying a huge freight costs. and um you know we can again we we can buy and ship the pellets hundreds and hundreds of thousands of pounds of pellets but if we make a mask and put it in a container it takes up you know significantly more space so therefore um, uh, you know, it's an advantage to be making it here. And, and that, that's what gives us the leg up. That makes a lot of sense. I want to show you something that
1: my father gave me. So he ordered a bunch of KN95 masks from Amazon. He ordered like a crate of them. So last time I, you know, went over there, it was like, here, take, take a, take a couple bags. You're just going to need them. You're going to need them. So, all right, fine. So this is what he got mm-hmm. now. After looking at this, I see here that it says right at the front, it's a non-medical mask, and it's made in China. So mm-hmm. w- what are we looking at here? Like how safe is, is not, okay, sorry, not safe. What is the difference between what I'm holding in my hand and what can come out of Ontario? And feel free to either of you answer this however you want.
0: Yeah, so, so my, my read on this is uh, predicated by the words non-medical. If you say your thing is non-medical, then effectively you don't even need Health Canada to um, give you an MDEL. It's, it's a mask. Uh, you can sell it anywhere you want other than in a medical situation. Um, remember, my background is making toys. We never wanted to make a toy that harmed a child. That's the worst thing that could ever happen to a toy company. When when we transitioned into, into medical masks or to, to mass, we wanted to make sure that everything we put out was of a quality standard that was going to help and not hurt or hinder. And so, you know, I, I have a real uh, concern about when somebody's selling something that's non-medical, it means that they haven't really, they don't have their heart and soul into this, in my opinion.
1: See, to me, that brings it home because... Like this, this, this bag of masks on my desk came from my father, who wanted to keep his family safe. Mm-hmm. And I mean, bless his heart. So the answer to the question is, are these masks any good? The answer is maybe, probably, best,
0: right? Yeah. Best, maybe.
1: yeah. And so now let, let's, let's take this chat to the more technical level, because as I've come to understand, not all face masks are created equal, are they? no. Yeah. So why don't we, so let's talk a little bit about that. So um, educate me a little bit on the different types of masks, um, filtration versus not filtration, particle sizes, aerosol versus uh, what's the other one? Not aerosol. It's a spray or a droplet or
2: droplet is usually how it's. (laughs)
1: Yeah. So let's, let's geek out. I'm just going to sit back and take notes and please tell me about the different qualities of different
0: masks. (laughs) Okay. So let let me, uh, I think, I think there's, there's two sides to this and I think it's an interesting perspective. There's the clinical side, which Danielle can do chapter and verse, and I'm not even going to try. And then, then there's the, the, the the component part of, of masks. And most masks are made out of uh, polypropylene and polypropylene being a a derivative of, of, uh, of oil. It's a, it's a, it's a plastic. And those pellets are, Manufactured into a material, a material that you can um, you can take and you can make a mask out of it. You can make a gown out of it. You can make a a blanket or a or a, a pad or a diaper or I mean, there's all kinds of stuff you can make out of poly or spun bond. And and there is also the other one, which is the melt blown part, which is a which is more of a filter. And so you have. What we refer to as the procedural or surgical mask, which is a three or four ply mask that have the ear loop. And and there's billions of those sold around the world, like billions of them around the world every year.
1: Billions sold because they work or billions sold because they're cheap?
0: I think it's a bit of both. But that would certainly, the surgical mask would certainly be the, the less expensive of all the mask categories and so so then, so then you have the next level up, which is the k n ninety five or the n ninety five or the respirator mask, which is a little more robust, and there's there's billions of those sold sold around the world as well, and they provide they provide or should provide what we refer to as a complete seal and And I think you know Danielle can get into that discussion in a second, and then you move into what we refer to as the Alaskameric masks, and the Alaska Elasameric masks are, again, plastic, uh, but they are um, reusable, recyclable. They can they they do form a complete seal on your face for the most part. There are two filters. Filtration is both inhale and exhale, and they they I believe candidly, are the mask of the future. Uh, I think that uh, at some point in time, we'll all recognize that, um, you know, throwing these into landfills or burning them is not the proper way of doing it. We, we need to recycle them or compost. And that brings me to the next category, which is the compostable mass, which are made out of plant-based materials. And they will compost in 45 to 60 days and, and they'll go back into the earth and we'll be able to use them um, you know, in in, I don't know how many months or years later, but, uh, it, it has zero effect on, uh, carbon is in fact, it's a carbon credit as opposed to a carbon usage. And it's, it's just going to take a while for the compostable mass to get to where they need to be.
1: A real quick question, because I, I, this was, this was something that was a stumbling block for me. When you say respirator, you don't mean a mechanical device necessarily, do you?
2: No. So to clarify that, thank you for catching that too. So when we, I think people get um, confused between respirator and ventilator. So a ventilator would be, you know, if you're in the ICU and you need mechanical ventilation, um, I think that's what is confused sometimes. Um, respirators, however, are filtering face pieces. So whether it's an N95 or an elastomeric um, or there are also other, other contraptions that are out there to help to help uh, filter particles.
0: Yeah, well, I was just going to add to what you're saying. A respirator refers to a mask that gives you a complete seal on your face. That's, that's the distinction between a respirator and a surgical or procedural mask, which, which is like this one right here. So when I put that on, when anyone puts that on, you've got a, a gap on the cheek, mm-hmm. <clears throat> maybe under the chin.
2: Yeah, so you have, I, I mean, the fit, that's part of it. Too. I mean, that's that's number one, the fit or the seal that's created um, through a respirator is is hugely different compared to um, a surgical or procedure mask or even a cloth mask. Um, but the filtration capability of respirators also needs to be taken into account too, and and forms a large part of the standards to check the viability of these respirators. So for example, something like a five-layer N95 or N95 equivalent that you could find here, it's actually really fascinating how how the fabric works. Um, So as George was talking about, it's usually made with a couple different materials, such as spun bond material or um, melt-blown fibers. And when you think about um, particles that float through the air, that are filtered through these N95s, I think a lot of people tend to think of them as like uh, a sieve, you know, oh, it's just, you know, it's only capturing um, particles of a certain size and anything else is kind of brought in through this respirator. That's not actually the case. So when respirators are um, tested, they're tested according to what's known as the most penetrating particle size, which is 0.3 microns. So that's pretty, pretty tiny. And that tends to be the size that a lot of filters struggle with most. But there are many different forces at play here for different particle sizes. So anything that's beyond this 0.3 micron size, um, any any of those particles uh, are so tiny often that they get so bounced around amongst the fibers. Um, that they can actually latch onto the fibers that way. And that's known as Brownian motion. Anything above 0.3 microns typically is caught onto the fibers through impaction or interception. So they just happen to be big enough that the fibers naturally, they can move in straight lines and those fibers can naturally capture them. Um, But the other force that works, and even... Can help capture particles at 0.3 microns, which is the hardest size sometimes to filter. Um, it works through electrostatic force. So uh, the interesting thing about the materials within, um, you know, respirators is this electrostatic um, force that's also used to help out with this Brownian motion, this interception, and this impaction. Um, so you're really getting a full spread of different forces here that are helping to capture these particles. These right down, you know, even smaller than 0.3 microns. Um, Now, in terms of viruses, when we're breathing out, um, the viruses are captured in something called a bioaerosol. And from what we know, these bioaerosols, tend to be larger than 0.3 microns anyways so something like a a respirator whether it's reusable or it's disposable with a really good seal um, is really helping to filter out and ensure that you're not exposed to the majority of bioaerosols that contain um, viruses like SARS-CoV-2 which causes COVID-19. So that's that's a little explainer anyways on how, how that material works um, for N95s or N95 equivalents, like you can find here in Canada and how that material works. It's not just, um, it's not just, a, a, it doesn't work like a sieve necessarily. It kind of works like a spider web. If you think of a spider web, um, things attached to those fibers. So, so the fabrics that we use in, in N95s or N95 equivalents kind of works like a spider web to, to capture these particles. And, and as George was saying, you know, that's also very much reliant on a good seal because you don't want to have, you know, you could have the best filtering product out there, but if it's not creating a good seal around someone's nose, around the sides of their cheek, underneath their chin, um, you're also at risk of exposing yourself. And and at least in healthcare and in some occupations as well, they do different kinds of fit testing for, for respirators, either qualitative or quantitative fit testing. But basically the goal is to make sure that you have the best fitting respirator on as possible. And I think there's going to have to be more discussion as well on, on how to make sure that the general public can fit test themselves too and make sure that they're getting the best seal. And there's products out there that do have pretty universal seals on, on people as well. And, and I think we're, especially a lot of Canadian companies are really moving in that direction quite well to make sure that everyone has access to, to heightened protection here.
0: So uh, I want to put my tree bore cap on for a second, because I think this is really important to, um, to understand. We developed a mask, which we refer to as our infection control mask. And we have an antimicrobial coating, which is second from the mouth. And this is a four-layer mask. So we have a spun bond, the antimicrobial coating, the the melt blown, and then another antimicrobial or another uh, uh, spun bond. It happens to be this mask. And the reason we do it is we wanted to provide hospitals and medical facilities the opportunity to help reduce bringing infections into the hospital by people who may be ill or have COVID or have another virus or bacteria or fungi. And the sole purpose of this mask is to cut down infections. And we also have another mask, an everyday mask, which we have, which is the second from the front. Those are two very interesting, revolutionary new technologies that are designed specifically to address the airborne issue that really we've only come to understand in the last what six, seven, eight months, max. So after everything I've learned here, clearly
1: Ontario can make the best of the best masks if we need to. How do we get more Ontario made masks into the hands and onto the faces of more Ontarians? What is the bottleneck? How how, how do we get more of this out there?
0: Well, I think we have to, um, I think there's a number of things that, first of all, we have to do, is that the industry, the healthcare industry, has to be more uh, accepting of change, of new ideas, innovation. I think traditionally the the industry has been, okay, this is what we've done, and this is what worked, and so that's what we'll do. And now something comes along that's a whole lot different, and it's a far more detrimental to our health, and the old ways, the old... Style masks or ventilators or, or respirators or you name it doesn't work the same way as uh, as it as it needs to and and so the industry itself has to be uh, looking at and embracing better and new technology that that's the first thing I think that it has to be a mindset I think the second thing is that the hospitals themselves the buying groups that are that are actually making the decisions have to educate, and uh, and that's a you know that's a tough thing to do because everybody's busy, uh, everybody's got their day job, uh, everybody's you know uh, got not enough time in the day to do what they have to do. Now, now do you really want to take time out to educate? But you know what, if if we didn't educate, you know we wouldn't be where we are today, and we and we wouldn't be inventing new and different things. And so there's a there's an education that has to go along. I think we've addressed this, the fact that you don't have to pay an exorbitant price to buy Canadian. Okay, is it a couple of pennies more? Maybe, but you know, tell me the value of your life. Is it worth a couple more pennies? I don't think ever any this phrase was ever true. You 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 get what you pay for, and and in particular, we as Ontarians have to understand that when we were buying stuff. Um, that was at prices that you know maybe very very inexpensive prices, or maybe just we weren't paying enough attention to what we were buying. Uh, we got stuff that didn't work, and and now you've got an industry that's got their own um, manufacturing standards. We all have to have a, a QMS quality, quality management system. We all have to pay fair wages. We all have to have. Um, you know, uh, good clean working conditions. Uh, we have to be um, looking at uh, ISO uh, 13485 as a as a medical standard for manufacturing. You know, so so we're we're setting ourselves up as an industry to say, hey, we're the gold standard. And if you want to buy quality product that makes a difference, then look at us as an alternative. the The lowest price isn't necessarily the best. Product to buy.
2: Just wanted to add on to that. The demand is there. You know, I think whether or not people know maybe as much as we do about how an N95 works or how filtration works, etc. Word is definitely getting out there uh, that people want and need better protection. Right. Um, Our members are working around the clock right now, uh, working very hard to meet the demand. And I think you know having proper support and proper contracts to help meet that demand too. And having those supports in place could really help our members too. And just, you know, make sure that we can ensure that we have a, a robust and and secure supply chain that we've um, we've built up throughout this pandemic. Well, largely Barry and George and the executive members have, have helped to build up during this pandemic, right? And like we've said, it just makes sense to buy Canadian and just to make sure you're really shortening that, that supply chain from production to getting it onto people's faces, right? But the demand is definitely there. So the support has to, has to follow as well and in, many, in many different ways.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I, just in closing, I, I would say that, uh, you know, there are a lot of us in Ontario who are very thankful for the government investing in us and our companies to help us get started. And, and we're here to help Ontario be the safest province on the planet or the safest jurisdiction on the planet. And we can do it together. And, you know, the Ontario, the Ontario together fund is just that let's do it together.
1: Well, on behalf of the Trillium network, I think I can say quite emphatically that we are more than happy to help spread this education, to help inform all of our stakeholders and to basically tell anyone who will listen what we just talked about here because this was very informative for me I found it uh enlightening a little terrifying and um you know but uh, it's it's this was very informative and um I wanted to thank you both George Irwin Danielle Kane, for joining me today on the microphones I hope we can have other conversations about this
0: love to
2: thank you so much for having us thank
1: Thank you. you so much